السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Alhamdulillah, today we're in, um, I mean, or I'm in Mecca, uh, Alhamdulillah, and um, I'm here for Umrah with the group that I've bought, and inshallah, where I'm here for, uh, I think, sorry, I think that the camera angle slightly messed up. Let me see if I can uh, fix this somehow. So I think the camera angle for some reason is not showing the, okay, um, let me see, sorry folks, okay, so as you can see this isn't really my, um, my forte when, when I'm told to do this stuff live, I don't really know what it is that I'm meant to be doing. Um, Okay, so anyway, so our class today, inshallah ta'ala, is going to be live streamed from Mecca, um, as you can see. And um, we finished last week with the tafsir over the life and the biography of Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, and his methodology in tafsir. And there were a couple of questions that came um, online that I wasn't able to get to because of, um, because of uh, just the lack of time, and we were slightly over time last week as well. So I just wanted to kind of um, deal with them. Um, I have some people here as well. Uh, sorry, Zakumullah khair for, for coming. Um, some of my group are here, Alhamdulillah. They've, they've, um, so just for their benefit as well, what we did last week is we did the tafsir al-Imam al-Tabari, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala. And al-Imam al-Tabari is, or not the tafsir, the life of al-Imam al-Tabari, the biography of al-Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, who's one of the great scholars of tafsir. He has one of the biggest compilations of tafsir, which is called um, Tafsir al-Tabri, as well known as Tafsir al-Tabri. Its actual name is Jami' al-Bayan, an Ta'wili Ayah al-Quran. And Imam al-Tabri in his book, he has uh, literally gathered hundreds if not thousands of narrations concerning the verses of the Quran and the tafsir of uh, hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but the tafsir of the companions and the scholars of the early generations of Muslims. And he compiled them together in this amazing tafsir. And what we did over the last two weeks is we went over the biography um, of Imam al-Tabari, his life and his times and the different trials and tribulations that he went went through, his journey in pursuit of knowledge. Um, and then what we also did last week is we went through a methodology of his tafsir. And his tafsir uh, and his methodology, we tried to break it down to understand the way that he, um, the way that he uh, targets tafsir, the way that he comes or the angle that he attacks tafsir from, uh, for lack of, of better words, the way that he, um, for example, uh, speaks about issues of fiqh, speaks about issues um, of, of, of how to choose the stronger opinion within tafsir, uh, Arabic language, qira'at, the, the very de various sciences of Qur'an that Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala brings within his, his tafsir. So there, were, there was one point that I wanted to mention before I come on to the questions and something which um, I forgot to touch upon last week. And that was how Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir mentions, as we said, many narrations. So Imam al-Tabari's tafsir book is a, 
a book that is a vast collection of narrations. Narrations meaning that what he will do is he will bring a chain of narrators between himself and between the, the scholar or the companion that he is quoting from. So for example, between him and Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhuma, the famous companion and scholar of tafsir, or between himself and Ali radiallahu anhu, or Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, whoever it may be. And what it will be is a chain of narrators, so he narrates from his teacher, who narrates from his teacher, and so on until he gets back to the companion or the scholar that is narrating from. It's not always companions, it can be from the generation of the tabi'een, what is the students of the companions, the likes of Al-Hassan al-Basri, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, Sa'id ibn al-Jubayr, Ikrimah, Mujahid, and that kind of generation amongst the scholars of Tafsir and amongst the, the scholars of Islam in general, because each one of those scholars is not only a specialist in Tafsir, but as, as is often the case, they are masters of knowledge generally, and experts of Islamic knowledge in general. So, Al-Imam Al-Tabari, uh, Ta'ala, has his methodology in Tafsir. The one point that I wanted to touch upon, um, which I forgot to mention last week in our methodology lesson, is Al-Imam Al-Tabari, Ta'ala, when he speaks and he mentions these chains of narration, rarely does he comment on them and rarely does he grade them in terms of authenticity or weakness. So it's not a conventional book of hadith as you would get sometimes, where the author or the compiler of hadith will say that this book is authentic, or sorry, this narration is authentic, this narrator is weak, uh, there are stronger narrations available, or whatever it may be, they commentate on the validity of the narration or the narration itself, or they speak about the uh, the, the trustworthiness of the um, uh, of the. Okay, let me. Sorry, Shazad just asked me to turn off the rotation on my screen, but not stop the stream. So let's see if I can do that. Okay. Um. I don't know if that helped or not. Sorry, folks, just give me a second. Let me see if this this has helped in any way or not. It says orientation is locked. Rotate device back. So I'm not quite sure what that's referring to. But anyway, let's um, uh, going back to the point of, of his commentating on narrations of tafsir. So when Imam al-Tabri commentates on his uh, narrations that he brings, he doesn't really commentate on the grading, the authenticity or lack thereof of the narration itself. So that's because Imam al-Tabri, it seems that Allah knows best, um, his methodology in narrating or mentioning those narrations is that he will give you the chain so that you can determine or the scholar can determine or the student of knowledge can determine for themselves whether that chain of narrators is acceptable or not. And that obviously goes back to only to the level of the companions, right? So after the level of the companions, then the scholars of Islam, even those early generations, their opinions are not considered to be a within itself a valid, um, they're, not, they're not a source of legislation in and of themselves, unless they will agree on upon, upon a point and then it becomes ijma' and a point of consensus, which ijma' is a source of legislation within and of itself anyway. But he will do this for the companions. So the narration's up to the companions because the companions are the knowledge they took. Some of it or um, all of it is from the Prophet wasallam. So unless we know that they took those narrations from the scriptures of the people of the book or from Israeliyat, 
from Judeo-Christian traditions, then what you actually have is you have this situation where um, the narrators themselves, Imam al-Tabari doesn't comment, commentate on them. So he lets you do the hard work. And that's the position that Imam al-Tabari uh, takes for himself, it's a methodology, as opposed to other scholars of tafsir like Imam ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, a famous scholar of tafsir and one of the famous compilers of, of, of tafsir. In his um, tafsir, Imam al-Tabari will often commentate on the hadith. And he will often commentate on narrators and, and the grading of hadith. And that's his methodology in his tafsir. And inshallah, I hope that we will be able to do a similar um, study of his life and his times at Imam Ibn Kathir, as well as his methodology in tafsir as well. The point here being, however, that Imam al-Tabari doesn't take it upon himself to commentate on narrations. So he just mentions them for you. right? He just mentions them for you and he doesn't really go into that type of detail. And in some of the later editions, like um, uh, Dr. Abdullah Turki, in his edition of uh, the Tafsir al-Imam al-Tabari, he will often, in, within the references uh, and, and you know, within his own edited notes, he will um, sometimes grade those narrations from uh, whether it's a hadith or whether it's from the statements of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'in. So... Um, so that's basically the point that I wanted to mention. Before I take any questions for um, for for the lesson, um, or for as we before we go on to rather this week's lesson, I just wanted to mention um, a couple of questions that came in last week. One of them was um, someone asked concerning the we mentioned that Imam Tabari rahimahullah taala um, had a a multi volume book on on the topic of qiraat on the science of qiraat, and I mentioned that it's a book that's been lost. And that is the case, as far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, that book over time was lost. So Imam al-Tabari, uh, as some of the early scholars of his time or from his generation, or the generations that came slightly after him mentioned, that Imam al-Tabari had written, I think we said it was a 16 or 18 volume book, just on the science of Qiraat, uh, which shows um, his mastery of that science and it shows the amount of knowledge that he had preserved um, within, within that book. But that's something which was lost over time. The other question that I had was concerning um, a tafsir bil-ra'i, which is tafsir by intellect and by opinion, um, and, and to understand whether people who make that type of tafsir, if it's just all conjecture and opinion. And I think it's something which is important. It requires a bit more of a detailed discussion, but just to touch upon a point where um, one of the things that we said about Imam al-Tabari's tafsir is that sometimes a scholar have difficulty in terms of categorizing his tafsir. Is it a tafsir of narrations? Or is it a tafsir of opinion? And a tafsir of opinion is divided into two. Tafsir of opinion meaning that the scholar of tafsir, the imam, will commentate and analyze and he will include his own deductions and deduce his own rulings and so on based upon the evidences of the Quran and the Sunnah and the statements of the companions of the scholars of tafsir. That is also called tafsir bil-ra'i in the general term because it is his opinion. However, at the same time, you have tafsir bil-ra'i which is only opinion, in the sense that it's not really based upon a foundation of the Qur'an or the Sunnah, it's not really based upon a hadith, it's not really based upon the understanding of the companions. And so what we mean by tafsir bil-ra'i, the tafsir which is not allowed, which the scholars, including Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, spoke against in his introduction to his own tafsir, it is a tafsir where a person comes and he makes an interpretation of the verse outside of the body of opinions that exist, 
amongst the early generations as to what the tafsir or what that verse is referring to. And it's very common, unfortunately, in our time for people to make tafsir in that way. So, for example, I come to a, a verse, for example, inshallah ta'ala, today we start with um, the tafsir of Surah Al-Qari'ah. Al-Qari'ah, right? What does Al-Qari'ah mean and what is it referring to? And unless you go back to the books of tafsir and the opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir, you could possibly say that Al-Qari'ah, which is like a crushing, a crushing blow or a striking calamity, which is the literal translation of, of that verse, you could apply it to a whole host of situations. You could say that it's referring to earthquakes, referring to natural disasters, referring to war, referring to many things just from an intellectual point of view. However, what a scholar of tafsir or a student of knowledge in tafsir must do is that they must return to what the scholars have mentioned. What do the companions say? What does that verse mean? Is there a hadith before that in which, Allah, in which the Prophet mentions something concerning the explanation, the interpretation of the verse. Does Allah before that mention anything in the Quran? What did the companions understand? What did their students understand? What did those early generations of Muslims understand? And Imam al-Tabari, even though he, you know, he dies around the year 310 Hijri, he's very early on. And he lived towards the end of the life of Imam Ahmad, who's the last of the four Imams in terms of, of their passing. So he's from the very early generations. Imam al-Bukhari comes after Imam Ahmad. So we're talking about a very early generation of Muslims. But even so, Imam al-Tabri, rarely does he quote in his tafsir, will you find, if ever, that he quotes the opinion of Imam al-Shafi'i or Imam Ahmad, who were not necessarily his contemporaries, but just the generation above. So he doesn't really do that. He doesn't go to his contemporaries or even the scholars who were a generation above him who he would consider to be from the level and the tabaqa of his teachers. And that's an important point to also remember because it shows to you an important methodology that those early scholars of tafsir had. The, the, the methodology that they employed within the tafsir and the body of opinion that they're sticking to and that they are referring to and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Okay, before we go on... Um, couple of questions from Sister Lisa. In one narration, Imam Al-Tabari said to his students, and in another narration, his students asked for him to write for them a tafsir book. Do you mean that in one narration, he asked his students to bring him through 30,000 pages to write a tafsir book? And in another narration, his students asked him to write a tafsir book. Now, what I mean is that I have heard both versions. Um, so basically, the story, just to recap quickly for, for the benefit of those who aren't aware and Imam Al-Tabri why did he write his book of tafsir he, his students came to him one day according to one version his students come to him and ask him to write for them a book of tafsir and he says bring me 30,000 pages they say no that's too long so he says okay bring 3,000 pages the other version of that same narration um, that I've also read is that he is the one who initiates that conversation and Imam Al-Tabri is the one who says I wish to write a book of tafsir and they say, okay, that's, you know, that's a, uh, an amazing idea, let's do it. And he says, bring me 30,000 pages of tafsir. They say, no, that's too much. He says, okay, let's make it 3,000. And by the way, that same story is also mentioned um, in some narrations of his, uh, or some um, yeah, narrations of his biography in his life story. They are also, also mentioned concerning the book of history that he wrote, what is known as today, Tariq al-Tabari. 
the history that Imam Al-Tabri, book, the, the book of history that Imam Al-Tabri authored, Rahimullah Ta'ala, it is mentioned concerning that as well, that he wanted to make it 10 times bigger. He asked for 30,000 pages. They said, no, that's too long. That's way too much history. He said, okay, bring me 3,000. And that's what he, um, you know, that's what, that's what he was referring to. And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. Either way, it doesn't really make a big difference to us. It's not really something which is a, an integral uh, point um, that we need to we need to be worried about. But you have both versions, so I mentioned both of them um, to you. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Uh, another question, last lesson, you mentioned how it's dangerous to go to a scholar and ask about another scholar. In our time, we have certain scholars that warn others warn us against. They warn us not to take anything from the teaching of an ex-scholar. What should we do in that instance? Are we permitted to take the good from a scholar even though people have concerns over the scholar? An example of this is someone who has done a detailed CRO study, which I... Okay. So... What I was mentioning at the end of last week, because last week, um, at the beginning of last week's lesson, we spoke about how Imam Al-Tabari, towards the end of his life, he went through a major trial. And that trial was because of um, some of the misunderstandings and because of some of the rivalries that exist between humans in general, between Muslims, between family members, and amongst students of knowledge and scholars. Um, and Imam Al-Tabari went through a very difficult period towards the end of his life where he was placed under virtual house arrest and he would die within that state and he would be buried within his house rahimahullah ta'ala because of how severe the issue had become towards the end of his life rahimahullah ta'ala so al-imam al-tabari so within that context i was mentioning that that's something which we always have to be aware of that the there is always amongst contemporaries sometimes you know and allah Azzawajal is the one who cleans hearts and he's the one who, who purifies people's intentions. And that's Allah Azza that he makes us always of pure intention and pure of heart. But sometimes you get those issues between contemporaries and people wanting to best one another. And it is a, a, a human emotion. It is something which people have. And that in, inherent jealousy and arrogance and haughtiness and pride, those diseases that we have within our heart, it takes a lot of time and effort to, um, you know, to suppress them and to, and to control them. So within that context, it is important to remember that that doesn't mean at the same time that, you know, um, just because someone is a contemporary to someone else, that everything they say may be incorrect. So the criterion always in these issues is based upon knowledge and it's based upon um, people referring to people that they trust in their knowledge, in their taqwa of Allah Azza wa in their fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is based upon not being hasty and rushing. And that's why you find that the senior scholars often don't rush and they're not hasty to give rulings and to as soon as an event occurs or as soon as a, a major thing happens that they're not the first to speak. It's often other people that speak first. Other people who will go and delve into the issue and the major scholars maybe don't speak for months at a time and people become upset and understandably they want to know their position and why aren't they speaking and why don't they speak out. And one very simple reason why is because they want to wait to see what the actual reality is. And, and again, this is a nuanced issue and it's, you know, it's not something which is a clear black and white issue. There's a lot of gray within this. But just as a general rule, that's something which I found many of our teachers used to do. They wouldn't rush to, um, to, to speak about many of the issues that were taking place, even though they were prompted and they were asked. And it's not because they don't know or they have a lot of knowledge or it's because they don't really know the reality and reality takes time to emerge. So um, when you're in the heat of the moment, it is very difficult to speak about those issues. So those are things that we should bear in mind and remember to refer to um, people who are, and generally like the scholars have this qa'idah, 
um, you know, just like from the adab of ulama, from the uh, chapter of ethics among scholars, that you refer to the to the to the elders amongst them. So you have people of knowledge, and then you have people who have knowledge, but they also have seniority in age. And generally speaking, as a person gets older, you know, they're hitting their fifties, their sixties, their seventies. They are closer to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala because they are closer to death, and they're more mindful of their end. And they are, and the grip of shaitan over them is less. Not all the time. There are always exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, just as within our families, the people who get older, they're in their 70s, they're in their 80s, they're retiring, you find generally speaking that they will turn to reading more Quran, turn to praying more often, turn to you know wanting to make Hajj and Umrah, turn to actions because they see their ending in sight. And so the grip of shaitan lessens over them as they come closer to what they perceive to be their end. And that's why even amongst the scholars, you have scholars who are senior in knowledge and they are less likely to have within them that type of jealousy and type of rivalry amongst their contemporaries, let alone those people who are not their contemporaries, they are younger in them in age. And therefore it is always something, you know, there is barakah, there is always blessing to refer to people who are older within your communities. And it is something which we should all remember to respect the elders who have knowledge within our communities and to refer these issues back to them, even if not for necessarily the knowledge, if they're not necessarily the most knowledgeable of people, but sometimes the wisdom that they have, which can be in, in some cases as valuable as the knowledge itself. So um, I think the that does it for our questions, inshallah ta'ala. Let us start with today's lesson. So we've, um, we're going to move on to the tafsir of Surah Al-Qari'ah. So the previous surah that we finished is Surah Al-Takathur. And before that was Surah Al-Asr and before that was Surah Al-Humaza. And there is a clear link between these surahs uh, and the surahs that will come after as well. In the sense that they are speaking about important issues and principles as the Meccan surahs often do, which ground us and give us a very firm understanding of the important things that we need to remember as we prepare to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Surah Al-Humaza spoke about those um, you know, issues of, of scorning and mocking people and just the way that we behave within our etiquettes and character, the way that we interact socially, the, the different ways that we should behave and the behaviors that we should have towards each other and towards um, other people. And then Surah Al-Asr speaks about the issue of time and the importance of time and the blessing of time and the valuable nature of time. And then we have Surah Al-Takathur in which Allah warns us against just becoming super focused on just the dunya, materialism and hoarding and wanting more and more and more and never being satisfied to the time and to the extent that death comes upon you and you're still within that frame of mind and that mindset of wanting more and more and more. And instead what Allah Azza wa Jal tells us to do is to remember and to reflect and to ponder over the fact that our ending will be very near. That a time will soon come when we will know and Allah Azza wa Jal uses the word of ilm, of knowledge within that surah, surah Al-Takathur, a number of times, كَلَّا سَوْفَ تَعْلَمُونَ ثُمَّ كَلَّا سَوْفَ تَعْلَمُونَ كَلَّا لَوْ تَعْلَمُونَ عِلْمَ الْيَقِينَ Allah Azza wa Jal keeps referring to this issue of the knowledge that you will gain, that you will surely come to know and again surely come to know and come to know with certain knowledge. That all of this hoarding of the dunya, all of this amassing of wealth, land and property and titles and everything else in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, unless it was done for good and used in good, will have 
little effect, little to no effect in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah Azza wa reminds us of this. And he refers to this issue because it is a, an extremely important issue. And so then from Surah Al-Takathur, we now have this next stage or this next link where in Surah Al-Asr, we've been told of time and to remember that time will soon come to an end. And in Surah Al-Takathur, we're told about visiting the graves or entering the graves and death and the life of the grave. And now we come on to Surah Al-Qari'ah. And Surah Al-Qari'ah is a surah which is speaking about now the day of judgment coming into Yawm Al-Qiyamah itself and the striking of the hour and Yawm Al-Qiyamah taking place. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to the, uh, you know, it's like almost a sequence of events, a sequence of events that's taking place. And sometimes you see very plainly and clearly within the links between these surahs of how beautifully they connect with one another. So Surah Al-Qari'ah, <clears throat> and we'll go into the word Al-Qari'ah in more detail inshallah ta'ala and what it means and what it's referring to. But just to do our general introduction, which is what we often do within our tafsir, is the names um, of this surah, the names by which it is known by. Surah Al-Qari'ah is one of those surahs that is only known by this name, by the name Al-Qari'ah. As is mentioned by um, uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas, anhuma, al-Imam al-Bukhari, al-Imam al-Tabari, al-Imam al-Qurtubi, Imam ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, all of them mention this name or the name of this surah in their works and they only refer to it as Surah Al-Qari'ah. And just as there are surahs as we've discussed previously, there are surahs that speak uh, or that are given numerous names that are known by a number of names, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes more. Then there are also surahs of the Quran that are only known by a single name. They're only known by one name. So you don't find that they they have multiple names within uh, within the books of tafsir or the books of hadith and the books of sunnah. You find only a single name. So that means that that's the only name that they were known by from the time of the companions and the subsequent generations. And Surah Al-Qari'ah is an example of that. Right? Surah Al-Baqarah is perhaps another example of that. Surah Ali Imran is another example of that. Those are surahs that are also mentioned in a hadith. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave them names. Surah Al-Qari'ah, as far as I know, there is not an, um, uh, as far as I know, the Prophet didn't mention it by name in an authentic hadith, uh, to the best of my knowledge and from what I can recollect now. Uh, but it's even so, it's a name or a surah that is only known by this single name. So it is, its name is Surah Al-Qari'ah. It is a Mecca revelation, a pre-Hijra revelation. And as is often the case within these short surahs towards the end of the Quran, that the vast majority of them are Makki revelations. And that's because they speak to principles and establishing principles and the important points of Iman and faith and spiritual um, enhancement that the Muslims, the early Muslims needed during that very difficult time period and era of the, of the Meccan years, where the Muslims were few in number, obviously, and they were being persecuted and tortured. So it is a Makki surah, and this is um, also mentioned by Abdullah ibn Abbas, Imam ibn Atiyah said in his tafsir, This surah is a Makki surah without any difference of opinion. And Ibn al-Jawzi in his tafsir he said, It is a Makki surah by consensus. And Imam al-Shawkani Rahimahullah Ta'ala said something similar in his tafsir. His tafsir is called Fathul Qadir, 
It is a Makki Surah without difference of opinion. And Ibn Ashur in his tafsir, Rahimallah, also said, There is agreement that this is a Makki Surah. Ibn Ashur continues and he says, اتفقت المصاحف وكتب التفسير وكتب السنة على تسمية هذه السورة بسورة القارعة. The different manuscripts of the Quran, the books of Tafsir and the books of Sunnah have all agreed that the name of this surah, the name by which the surah is known is Surah Al-Qari'ah, meaning it's the only name that is mentioned. So sometimes in the old manuscripts of the Quran, when they're naming the surahs, if the surah is known by more than one name, you may find in different manuscripts, the old manuscripts of the Quran, different names for that surah. Um, and, and to some, some extent that still uh, exists today. Right, Surah Isra, uh, you know, some people know it as Surah, Surah Bani Israel. So it's something which, you know, some people still have today. But he says it's not the case with Surah Al-Qari'ah in the books of Tafsir, the books of Hadith and Sunnah, and within those old manuscripts of the Quran. It is a Surah that is only known by one name, and that is Surah Al-Qari'ah. And it is a Surah of 11 verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins um, within this Surah, and he says, going on to the first verse, Al-Qari'ah. Al-Qari'ah. Which translated, if you look at the Abdul Halim, first Abdul Halim translation, he says the crushing blow. Mufti Taqi says the striking event. Sahih International translation is the striking calamity. So Allah Azza wa Jal begins, uh, and this is actually literally one verse is one word. Al-Qari'ah. The crushing blow. End of verse 1. And that is from the, um, you know, the, the eloquence of the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places within the Qur'an that Allah azza wa jal, sometimes what he will do is he has a very strong opening of the surah, a very, very strong opening of the surah in the sense that it is a single word which gives maximum effect and impact in terms of its meaning and what it's referring to. But at the same time, it makes you want to know more. It leaves you wanting to learn more. So when Allah Azza wa says Al-Qari'ah and he says the crashing blow, it is something which you don't understand what it's referring to. You want to know more. You want to understand what it is. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is from the beauty and the eloquence of the Quran. When often or when sometimes within the Quran, Allah Azza wa begins surahs like this. Another example of a similar surah would be Surah Al-Haqah. Where Allah Azza wa says, Al-Haqa. And we will mention this because the opening of these two surahs is very similar in the way that they open. So Allah Azza wa does this sometimes within the Quran. And it is to draw attention and remember that, that in the early years of the Meccan period, the Quran is not only being sent down as a means of giving contentment and tranquility and peace and fortification and steadfastness for the early Muslims, but the Qur'an is also being revealed as a challenge to the Quraysh and to the disbelievers of Mecca. The Qur'an is also being revealed to grab their attention, to show them the beauty and eloquence of the Qur'an, to show them how their poetry and their mastery of the Arabic language can never compete with the eloquence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings within his book, Jalla Fi Ula. So Allah azza wa begins this surah with this amazing Beginning and Ibn Ashur, especially those scholars of tafsir that spoke about the uh, linguistic and the eloquence 
and the context of the Arabic language within the Quran, they really focus on this point here within this surah because it is literally a word and the verse ends. Al-Qari'ah, and that is the first verse of the surah. Al-Qari'ah, as we said, therefore, linguistically is referring to the crashing blow. But what it's actually referring to, what the meaning of the interpretation, the tafsir of this verse is, as Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu said, Al-Qari'ah min asma'i yawm al-qiyamah. Al-Qari'ah is from the names of the Day of Judgment Ibn Abbas Allah Azza wa Jal made it something uh, great and he warned it, warned his servants against it or warned his servants about it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Ibn Abbas said, it is from the names of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So the crashing blow that Allah is referring to is Yawm Al-Qiyamah. It is the event of the Day of Judgment. In another narration, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said, Al-Qari'ah, hiya sa'ah. The Qari'ah is the hour, meaning the day of judgment. And you have a similar statement from Qatada rahimahullahu ta'ala. And Al-Waki' Waki' ibn Jarrah, the famous scholar of Islam, the Imam, the Hafiz of Hadith, from the teachers of Imam al-Shafi'i and many other illustrious scholars of Islam, he said that I heard, meaning from my teachers and from the scholars, that Al-Qari'ah and Al-Waqi'ah and Al-Haqa, all of them refer to the Day of Judgment. And that is so. So as we know in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given um, the most important things many names. And it is from the eloquence of the Arabic language, as we've mentioned previously before when discussing Jannah, for example, when discussing Paradise, when discussing Hawfai, when discussing the Quran itself, or, or even the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. that when the Arabs want to show the importance of something, one of the ways in which they do it is they give it multiple names, multiple names by which it is referred to. So for example, Jannah has many names within the Quran. It is known by many names. And An-Nar or the fire is known by many names and many descriptions in the Quran. The Quran itself is given many names. Surah Al-Fatiha amongst the surahs of the Quran is a surah that has the most names. Our Prophet wasallam, is known by many descriptions and many names. And all of that is to show importance. It is always to denote importance so that people pay attention. But also what it does is it gives you an added meaning. Every time there's an added word or a description or name given to that, it gives you an added meaning. So you understand a different element of what is going to happen within that event. right? So for example, um, the Quran. The Quran is known as the Quran, which is mean, which means something which is read. It is known as Al Kitab, which means the book. Therefore, it is something which was written, which is written in written form as well. It is known as a Nur. It is light, so therefore it gives the light of guidance. It is known as Huda as guidance. So all of these different names, yes, they are names to show importance, but each one of them also gives you a slightly added and complementary meaning to the others. And that's exactly what the names of Yawm Al-Qiyamah do as well. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to Al-Qiyamah by different names, for example, when he says Al-Waqi'ah, Waqi'ah comes from, you know, in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةِ Surah Al-Waqi'ah, Waqi'ah comes from the word Waqi'ah, which means something which will happen, uh, will, will actually take place. It's an event that will take place from Waqi'ah, which is when something takes place. So it gives you an added meaning that it's something which will happen. Al-Haqa comes from Haqiqa, which means it's a reality. 
So when Allah is giving these different names, not only is He showing us the importance of the event itself, how much we should pay attention to it, how much we should focus and concentrate upon it, but at the same time Allah is giving us an additional meaning. He's given us something extra, something more to understand about that event on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So that's why Al-Waqi' ibn Jarrah Rahimallah Ta'ala said that I heard that Al-Qari'ah, Waqi'ah, Haqa, all of them refer to Qiyamah. And those aren't the only three names of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. There are many more in the Quran. Al-Tamat Al-Kubra, Al-Sa'a, Al-Sakha, Yawm Al-Din, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Yawm Al-Fasl. All of these various names that Allah Azza wa Jal has given all of them to the Day of Judgment. And each one of them has within them a certain slight added complementary meaning which shows you the beauty of the Qur'an. And, and that's why as a judge, uh, who is one of the famous linguists of the Arabic language, one of the famous scholars of Arabic language, he said, Al-Qari'ah, 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 and Al-Waqi'ah, and Al-Haqah, all of them are descriptions of the hour and the day of judgment. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, when speaking about um, the tafsir of Al-Qari'ah, he only mentions this opinion. He only mentions that Al-Qari'ah refers to Yawm Al-Qiyamah or it's from the names of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Um, and he doesn't go into other opinions even though there is another opinion as we will come to mention inshallah ta'ala shortly. And as we said when we discussed his methodology last week when Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala only focuses on one opinion even though there are other opinions out there amongst the scholars of tafsir even amongst the early scholars of tafsir, maybe there was another opinion or one or two or three or a handful of scholars had another tafsir. If Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah in his tafsir, he doesn't mention that other opinion, it's, possib- it's possibly for a few reasons. One of them is that he didn't get those narrations. And even though that may have been the case, it doesn't always seem likely. Because Imam al-Tabari was so extensive in his narrations and his gathering of those narrations from those very same scholars who sometimes he omits those opinions from them that doesn't seem to be likely, at least in every case anyway, and Allah knows best. Another um, reason, and perhaps that is more so, is because Al-Imam Al-Tabari considers that other opinion to be weak, or peculiar, shad, not worthy of being mentioned. And sometimes Al-Imam Al-Tabari gives the impression that there's almost unanimity, it's almost consensus, that this is the only opinion or the only interpretation of this verse. And he does that by not mentioning the other opinions. And some of the scholars have the position that ijma' or consensus, if the vast majority agree on one thing, even if a handful, two or three, whatever, disagree, they still consider that to be a form of ijma', even though technically it's not ijma', you need everyone to unite and, and have consensus on the same thing. But sometimes Imam al-Tabari doesn't mention that, so therefore he may be considered as to be a weak opinion. Another opinion or another reason why he doesn't mention it um, may be because in essence it comes back to the same thing. In essence, the meaning is one. So he takes the opinion of the majority and he doesn't mention the opinion of the few or the very minority because in essence, both of those opinions come back to one and the same thing and Allah knows best. But Imam al-Tabari, in his own commentary of this verse, he said that al-Qari'ah is the hour that will cause the people's hearts to crash within their bodies. Um, It will cast a blow within their bodies. And what he's referring to here is the linguistic wording of al-Qari'ah, which we will mention, right? Qari'ah, which, you know, and that's where we get this these translations from now, whether it's the striking event, the striking calamity, the crushing blow, 
these are words that are being um, you know taken from the linguistic meaning right what does qari'a refer to and that's something inshallah which we will um, speak about as well um, when we come to some of the, the scholars who spoke about that from a linguistic point of view. But anyway, Imam al-Tabri, to continue with his commentary, he says, it's referring to the hour that will cast a blow or, or strike a blow within the hearts of people due to the terrors of that day and because of the graveness of what will befall them on the day of judgment. And that is the morning after which there will be no night, meaning it is the end of time. right? And that's because the Qur'an when it speaks about Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the hour, it speaks about it in the most grave terms. It speaks about it in the most serious terms, the most severe terms. For example, Allah Azza wa Jal, when He says to us, Ya ayyuhal nasu taqwa rabbakum, O you, O mankind, fear your Lord. Inna zalzalata sa'ati shay'un azim. For verily the, the quaking or the earthquake of the hour is a, a grave event. Yawma tarawnaha, Allah says on the day that you will see it, every single suckling mother will forgo her child. And every pregnant woman will miscarry. And you will see the people in a drunken state. And they are not in a drunken state. But the punishment and the terror of his punishment will be grave on that day. Allah describes Yom Al-Qiyam and He says, Allah says it's the day that children will grow grey in their hair. Their hair will turn white because of the terror of Yom Al-Qiyamah. And Allah Azza wa Jal describes the day and He says, That is the day that a person will run away from their own brother, their father, their mother, their spouse, their children, everyone will only be preoccupied with their own situation. And so Allah, when He, Azza wa Jal, when he describes Yom Al-Qiyamah in the Quran, it is often within those terms that are so stark and so grave and so terror, uh, terrifying to us. And it is to show the seriousness of Yom Al-Qiyamah so that people don't take it for a joke. People don't just spend their life not remembering and not preparing. And that's why Allah calls it a reminder for those people, right? So when the people of, uh, on, on the day of judgment, when the people of the fire enter into the fire, Allah says, وَهُمْ يَسْطَرِخُونَ فِيهَا They will scream therein, رَبَّنَا أَخْرِجْنَا نَعْمَلْ صَالِحًا غَيْرَ الَّذِي كُنَّا نَعْمَلْ Oh, our Lord, allow us to leave. We will do good deeds that we never used to do before. And Allah will say to them, أَوَلَمْ نُعَمِّرْكُمْ مَا يَتَذَكَّرُ فِيهِ مَنْ تَذَكَّرُ did we not give you sufficient life in the dunya that those who wanted to remember could have done so? If you wish to remember, if you wish to pay attention, if you wish to take stock of your life and see which direction you're moving in, you had ample opportunity and time to be able to do so in the dunya. So Allah describes Yom Al-Qiyamah in these terms. It is the morning after which there is no night, Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala says. So it is a day that Allah Azza wa Jal, when He then describes it in those single words, al waqia Al-Haqa, Al-Qari'a, you know, whatever it may be, Al-Sakha, Al-Tamat, Al-Kubra, all of those descriptions that Allah Azza wa Jal gives to them in the Qur'an, gives to the Day of Judgment in the Qur'an, it is often within those very striking terms that Allah Azza wa Jal mentions this. And Imam Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, he then added the opinion 
the second opinion as to what Al-Qari'ah is referring to. So the first one is that it is a name from the names of the Day of Judgment. He said, قَالَ قَوْمٌ مِنَ الْمُتَأْوِلِينَ And others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir said, Al-Qari'ah refers to the blowing of the trumpet because it will crash or it will strike the ears of the people who are listening and that striking will reach into their hearts. The striking that they will hear from the blowing of the trumpet will reach within their hearts. So that's the second opinion, and in reality, both of them are very similar because the blowing of the trumpet signals the beginning of Yom al Qiyamah, or just before Yom al Qiyamah, because according to the vast majority of the scholars, and as is in the verse of Surah Al Zumar, towards the end of the surah, Allah Azza wa mentions two blowings of the trumpet. The first one, the scholars say, when the trumpet will be blown, everyone that is living at that time will pass away, will die. And then a second time the trumpet will be blown and everyone will stand resurrected and gathered on the Day of Judgment. So there will be two blowings. So if it's referring to the first blowing, then yes, it's slightly before Yom Al-Qiyamah. And therefore there is that slight difference in terms of time. Is Al-Qari'ah referring to the blowing of the trumpet as some of the scholars of Tafsir said. But the vast majority said that it is referring to the Day of Judgment itself. And that's because the blowing of the trumpet, um, you know, we have the two blowings of the trumpet. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned, uh, I believe in the hadith of, uh, the hadith in, 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 in Al-Hakim, Mustadrak Imam Al-Hakim, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, the Prophet ﷺ told us that the angel that is entrusted with blowing the trumpet, who is called Israfil, has taken the trumpet to his mouth and inhaled, taken in a breath, and he's staring at the throne of Allah Azza wa Jal and he dare not blink lest he should miss the command of Allah Azza wa Jal to blow in the trumpet. So he is literally ready and poised, having taken in a deep breath. All that's left is for him to exhale and to blow. And he's waiting, watching the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at the stock, even the hadith that speak about Yawm Al-Qiyamah are so striking in their imagery and in the wording that is used. And he dare not blink out of fear. Dare not blink out of fear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give the command and he will miss it. Right? And so the the the, the trumpet the, the blowing of the trumpet is signally the signal of the end of this world and the beginning of Yom al Qiyamah. And there are a number of hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in which he uh, you know in which he mentioned the, the blowing of the trumpet and how it will take place and so on. And inshallah ta'ala, uh, when we come to that stage where we're going through the tafsir of those particular verses uh, of the Quran, inshallah ta'ala, we can perhaps go into slightly more detail concerning that. Sadiq Hassan Khan, rahimahullah ta'ala, who's one of the scholars of tafsir, an Indian scholar, um, who was born in 1832 and died, died in the year 1938, so uh, not too long ago. He has a book of tafsir called Fathul Bayan, which I don't often quote from, but he says um, in, in the tafsir of this particular surah, he says it is from the names of the Day of Judgment. As Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said, because it strikes the hearts and it casts terrors within them, and that is because Allah Azza wa will cast the terror of that day within the hearts of his enemies. Right? And the Arabs say to anything that casts terror, they call it qari'ah. In the Arabic language, anything which is at a major event that casts terror and that, and that brings terror is called Al-Qari'ah within the Arabic language. 
And this is what Imam al-Razi mentions in his, um, in his tafsir when he speaks about al-Qari'ah. He says, al-Qari'ah refers to the, 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 the blow, right? So the blow and the sound that emanates from that blow with its immense severity. And he says, so then the Arabs took from that, that linguistic meaning, that al-Qari'ah is a blow and the sound that emanates from that blow. And that's why I think Professor Abdul Halim in his translation perhaps captures that most, uh, most closely when he says the crashing blow. He says that from that the Arabs took from that word, al-Qari'ah, that any major event that takes place, any major calamity, they refer to it as Qari'ah. And Allah Azza wa mentions this in the Quran as well, and, and we will um, you know, mention those verses, um, maybe if not this week, then perhaps uh, perhaps next week. Actually, I will, I will mention it now. In Surah Al-Ra'ad, verse 31, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يَزَالُوا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا تُصِيبُهُمْ بِمَا صَنَعُوا قَارِعًا And the disbelievers do not cease to be captured by calamity because of what they do, because of what they put forth. And so Allah Azza wa calls it Qari'ah. It's not referring to Yawm Al-Qiyam, it's referring to Allah's punishment, Allah's calamity that befalls them, His destruction. But Allah Azza wa the point here being that He recalls it Qari'ah. So Imam Razi continues and he says, and that's where Qar' comes from, right? So Qara'ah in Arabic comes from knocking. That sound which emanates and resonates and reverberates and echoes. In Arabic language, knocking on the door is called Qara' al-Bab, right? To knock. That's where it comes from because of the sound that emanates from that striking. He says, from it comes also Al-Abdu Yuqra'u Bil Asa, when the slave is punished by lashing. So the stick that's 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 used to punish a slave, the Arabs call it qarq because of the sound that it makes and the immense blow that comes from it. And the knocker is called miqra'a, miqra'a, which comes from the same word. And he says, and when the clashing of swords in the Arabic language is called taqara'u, taqara'u bisuyuf, meaning tadarabu bisuyuf. The clashing of swords in Arabic is also referring to, to al qari'ah So what it seems to be saying, and Allah Azza wa knows best, is that it's not just sound and not just the crashing blow, but when you hit something very, very hard and it makes a very loud sound, it it almost reverberates through it. So when you knock on a door really, really loudly, the whole door jolts. It's not just the sound that it's making and not just the, the blow itself, but it's as if the whole door is shaking on its foundation. Likewise with the clashing of swords, right? It's like the, the clash of swords will reverberate not only through the sword and the handle of the sword, but probably over the arm and up the arm of the one holding the sword and within his body. It's literally going into that person. And that's why those uh, narrations of tafsir that we mentioned from Ibn Abbas and others, they said that it's a sound that, okay, may start from the ears, but it goes into the heart. It literally covers the heart with terror because it's not just the senses, it's not just external, but it's something which will be felt deeply within those people. And that's why those people who are alive when the trumpet is blown, as the Prophet told us, وسلم, will be the worst of creation. The hour will be established on the worst of all people. Because before that time, Allah Azza wa will have taken the souls of the believers and they will have passed away. So the only people living will be the worst of creation. And they will be the worst of people. And those are the people that Allah Azza wa will cause the trumpet to be blown upon them. And that trumpet, the blowing of that trumpet itself will be 
a major occurrence from them. And then he mentions something interesting, Al-Razi, also in his tafsir, and he says, and from this we have the Qawari' Al-Qur'an. The Qawari' of the Qur'an. What are the Qawari' of the Qur'an? The Qawari' Al-Qur'an refers to the passages, the verses, the surahs of the Qur'an that people recite to seek protection from harm and evil and from shaitan and from the jinn. And, and sometimes it refers to not only the Qur'an, but the other adhkar and the du'as that we have within the sunnah as well. But often it is called qawari'ul Qur'an. So your surah Fatiha, your ayat al-Kursi, your last two verses of Baqarah, um, your, for example, Ikhlas, Falak Nas, all of those surahs that you read to protect yourself from shaitan, from harm, from evil, the Arabs call them qawari' al-Qur'an, from the word qara'a. Because harm, evil, shaitan, jinn, they cast terror and fear into people. So they call these the qawari' of the Qur'an because they stop that casting of terror and they serve as protection from the evil and from the harm by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they are called qawari' al-Qur'an. Right? And there are books written with that title. Uh, Ibn al-Jawzi, for example, and Nisaburi has a book called qawari' al-Qur'an. Right? And I think you can find it online, qawari' al-Qur'an where basically he lists not only the verses of the Qur'an, but the adhkar and the du'as that a person can recite in order to seek protection from those things. So the point is here from the Arabic language, linguistic point of view, the word qara'a and qari' has those connotations. Al-Imam Ibn Al-Kathir, Al-Imam Ibn Al-Kathir ta'ala said al-qari'a is from the names of the day of judgment, like al-haqa, like al-tama, like al-sakha, like al-ghashiyah, and so on, right? So al-ghashiyah is obviously one of them as well. And Imam al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, said something very similar. Al-Qari'ah, al-Qari'ah meaning al-Qiyamah, and al-Sa'ah meaning the Day of Judgment and the hour. This is the opinion of the majority of the scholars with tafsir. He said, rahimahullah ta'ala. And Ibn Ashur said that Allah Azza wa Jal begins with this single word within this surah because it is a uh, an opening that not only uh, makes a person pay attention, but it also inspires fear within them. And they want to learn what's coming next, what's going to come after this, how will Allah Azza wa continue with this. And in Adwa'ul Bayan of, of Sheikh Shanqiti, he mentions, and as we've said before, that a, an event or something that has multiple names in the Arabic language it is to denote importance, as we have mentioned a number of times, he says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And so that's basically the meaning of Al-Qari'ah. So Al-Qari'ah, linguistically, is a crashing blow. It's referring to Jawm Al-Qiyamah, the Day of Judgment, according to, it is from the names of the Day of Judgment, according to the vast majority of the scholars with tafsir. But it is that sound that will emanate that crashing blow that will reach deep within the hearts and it will cast that terror and fear of that Day of Judgment. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Okay, I'm going to take, inshallah ta'ala, a couple of questions. Bidnillahi ta'ala. And I apologize for, I, I can see that the, it didn't reset itself, the video, hopefully, inshallah ta'ala, by next week's class, uh, which will be from Mecca, in Medina this week, but inshallah, Mecca next week. I'll have figured out somehow, hopefully, um, Shazad or someone will have told me what went wrong and how to correct that. Um, question following on from Sister Lisa's questions, are we allowed to take the good from certain scholars, even though others warn against taking knowledge from that person? This is an issue like which requires, you know, like some detail and some discussion. Not only that, but often these issues come back to having a level of base of knowledge. So when people say, oh, we're only going to take the good and not the bad to differentiate between 
what you consider to be good and bad because anyone, um, you know, like most people who call to something will use verse of the Quran or hadith of the Prophet that's not the issue. The issue is that they're not calling to necessarily open shirk and kufr because that's very open to understand. The issue is when they're not and how to determine that. And honestly, the best answer that I can ever give you is to learn and seek knowledge for yourself. To find someone within your community, someone that you trust, to build that relationship with them and to study through them and with them and with those others that you have access to as well. Um, because inshallah ta'ala that's something which will benefit you and will help you in, in terms of um, you know in terms of dealing with these issues and these and these problems that may arise. So mere out of curiosity for maximum impact, is it better to recite verses one and two with clear waqf in between as some join the verses? But I find it as a touch less meaningful impact. Has anyone spoken about this? Yeah, so this is a whole science in and of itself, which is called al-waqf al-ibtida, which means basically the science of starting and stopping. When do you stop in the Quran and when do you start? Not only at the ends of verses, as, as is being referred to here, but even in the middle of verses, in the midst of verses, especially the long verses, where is it allowed for you to stop or not? So in the Mus'haf, if you open the Quran and you see even in the middle of the verses, the small jim or the small whatever, like those little symbols that they have, which denote stops, and then they have an index at the back that explains what they refer to and what they mean, that is taken from this science. That's not something which the Prophet ﷺ gave to us in a hadith that you stop here and you don't stop there. It is ijtihad. It is something which the scholars have taken uh, rules and principles that they've laid down and they've discussed that. The issue of this particular uh, surah of verses 1 and 2, do you connect them or not? We'll touch upon next week, inshallah ta'ala, briefly. Because inshallah, one of the specials that we will do in our, you know, in the portion that we do about the sciences of the Quran will be an introduction into this science and speaking about how it works and so on. Um, it is a science within itself. There are there have been there has been books and poetry written on this to help people understand this, and it is clearly important uh, to know when and how to start and stop. And some of it obviously is predicated on having knowledge of the Arabic language, but then there are other rules as well. Um, but it's also unfortunately one of those forgotten and neglected sciences of Quran during our time. But in terms of just this particular Al-Qari'ah, I'm Al-Qari'ah, do you stop, don't you stop? What's the general thing amongst the scholars, the general rule? We will, inshallah, touch upon this briefly with Ta'ala next week uh, when we come on to the second verse. Um, but inshallah Ta'ala, uh, that's in terms of the actual wider science that's going to have to wait for another time. So Jazakumullah khair everyone for tuning in and, and being with me today. I apologize again uh, for the slight technical issue. I look like I'm doing a handstand or something um, on the wall. Jazakumullah khair for you guys being here as well. I hope you enjoyed this um, brief tafsir, which is basically how we do our tafsir here of one verse at a time more or less. Barakallahu fikum and inshallah ta'ala I will see you all next week. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.